0: what's up guys my name is ashley horner and i'm very excited to introduce my new host today and that is liz she is the manager here at american brew and she's gonna be joining me today along with a very special guest that we have uh today andy stump andy stump is a navy seal he is retired and he is one of the most craziest athletes that i have ever had the pleasure and the opportunity to meet, and we're going to have him on the podcast today. He also has a podcast of his own. It's called Clear Hot, Cleared Hot Podcast. Um, have you ever listened to any of his podcasts? Um, a few, I have. A few. Yeah, it's he's
1: been super impressive.
0: Yeah, he's been oh. doing podcasts for, well, a lot longer than I have. Um, but he's based out in Montana. Gorgeous state I've yet to visit. It is. It is. I really want to go and visit up at Montana as well. I just think it's, it's so beautiful up there and he purposely posts pictures, I think to make people who live elsewhere in the world Mm -hmm. jealous for sure. Um, but he holds the world record and we'll get into all of that whenever we have him on, but he holds the world record, I believe of the longest, um, what is it? The longest base jump. It was like 18 miles or something, uh, that he went. So he's going to be a pretty intense, um, guests that we have on today. And it is tradition, and I haven't forgotten, that every time we start a Reborn podcast, we cheers and take a shot of whiskey. And today's whiskey is, what is it?
1: John Bowman. John Bowman. Which is a single straight bourbon from Virginia. So,
0: yeah. What does it say? What Do you know what part of Virginia?
1: Um, It does not. We've
0: been a... Like, Virginia has quite a few... They do. whiskeys, and, and they're stuff. delicious. They are. And I'm not
1: a whiskey gal. Do you so. have a, a local favorite? Um, I like the Tarnished Truth. Oh, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tarnished I, Truth is good. That's
1: super popular here. And they um, have the
0: bourbon cream.
1: Yes, and
0: our Irish martini, which is extra delicious. Yes. And um, also uh, another one of my favorites is Ironclad. I haven't tried that one yet. It's good. It's easy. It's an easy one to take. Um, but it's, it's another really good whiskey. But, yeah, Virginia actually has quite a few. Um, and the Hunter, Hunter and Scott, this one is also on the table here. I believe this one is, yeah, product of Virginia. Reservoir yep. Distillery. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is another really good one. So, yeah, Virginia is known, and we have all of these whiskeys available for our customers, available for Liz and I whenever mm-hmm. it's really stressful and we have to just take a shot um or before the podcast like we're doing today so i'll take mine and what are we going to toast to um to
1: getting to montana one day (laughs) oh yeah
0: i would love (laughs) that that would be a a really good one. i really want to visit montana cheers Cheers. Cheers. happy friday happy friday all right man that one's Uh. a good one and what are you drinking there coffee Need a chaser americano. <laughs> that, like works. <laughs> that works. Like black. That works. So tell me like a little bit about yourself. So you're originally from? I'm from Havertown. It's a small town
1: outside of Philadelphia. Yes. It's the suburbs. Um, and you've been at American Brew almost a year. Yeah. In November, I've been at American Brew. I love coffee, and so. And you worked up at a coffee shop up in.
0: So we was were in Washington Oregon? State. Washington State. Yep. Um, what was the name of that coffee shop? It was called Urban City. Urban City. Yes. Yeah. So if, if you're listening to this and you're in Washington State and mm-hmm. go visit Urban City. Go visit I've, Urban
1: City. It's I've heard awesome. a lot of great things. It's the reason why we have white coffee yes. here. And yes. if you haven't tried it, it's extra caffeinated, delicious. I drink about aroma. three a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Try ask for the Coachella next the time Coachella. you're in. Mm-hmm. Is it
0: is the Coachella even on our menu? It's not. It's on the secret menu. It is. on, But we have, I mean, it's starting to, people come in and ask for it. Right. They're like, do you still have the Coachella shirt? We do. Yes. Yes, we do. It's delicious. I'm excited to tell you that today's episode is sponsored by Manscaped. Manscaped is the premium brand for men's grooming and hygiene care, particularly for below the belt trimming and maintenance. The perfect gift for the men in your life. You can expect only the best products made from the best materials to give you the best male grooming experience possible. Hygiene is an important issue right now and taking care of yourself at home is part of the new normal. Manscaped has everything you need to get started, providing the perfect tools for your family, jewels, The Perfect Package 3.0 kit by Manscaped comes with water-resistant, high-performance body trimmer called the Lawn Mower 3.0 and a variety of liquid products designed specifically for men. Their cordless body trimmer is USB chargeable and is built in with an advanced skin-safe technology, which helps prevent grooming accidents above the waist, which nobody has time for dealing with any of that. And how cool is this? You can enroll in the Peak Hygiene Plan and get a quarterly replenishment of your favorite products and replacement blades delivered directly to your door, hassle-free. That's right, Manscaped products right to your door. Just snap off your lawnmower trimmer head every couple months and replace it with a new one, making sure you maintain the closest and the cleanest shave possible. Your replenishment pack always comes with a free gift. That's right, a free gift. And this month, we got the Foot Duster pH Control Foot Deodorant Spray. That's a $30 value, and it's totally free, guys. Simply visit manscaped.com and enter in the promo code ASHH20 for 20% off your perfect package kit, plus free international shipping to the U.S., Canada, Australia, and the U.K. Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. So back to Andy Stump, who we're going to have on here in just a few minutes. Um, He is really extraordinary, and he has a great reborn story. Um, We're going to hear about his um, time in the the teams and when he was out on deployment. He had a a close call with uh, with combat, and he got shot in the leg. He actually thought he was going to lose his leg. And he came back stronger than ever. I believe he rejoined uh, the SEAL teams again uh, before he ended up retiring later on. And then he just it, – it's something about, like, that competitiveness and that, the, the drive that he has because I, I think it was after he retired from the teams, he got really into CrossFit. He started doing the crazy base jumping with a wingsuit. Nice. Would you ever bungee jump? Have, have you, you ever jumped? Have, no, have I you ever was skydive? Up to skydive. You haven't I skydived. I have
1: yet to skydive. Um, I definitely would need a push out the door. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because I'm sure the ride down would be uh really fun, but the bungee jump makes me nervous.
0: I don't think I could bungee jump. I've I've been skydiving.
1: Yeah. And a your lot. mom was
0: my mom skydiving. Yeah, my mom was like a professional mm-hmm. trickster back yeah. in the day. But and she actually never even went tandem. She just learned with, like, wow. a static line, and then she she just went for it. Yeah, and then my dad wow. made her hang it up. But <laughs> I, I don't know if I would ever – I don't know if I could ever bungee jump.
1: Yeah, I don't. My
0: I don't brother, also, who lives up in Alaska, he's he's done some um, base jumping or, or, like, cliff jumping or whatever, and I think after – he started having kids too like his his wife me mm-hmm. it's just cra- you it like where like where do you start i know Where is there, I don't 18 think mile <laughs> right yeah that'll be interesting i am definitely mm-hmm. interested in in i think whenever i first saw andy and mm-hmm. and heard about andy it, it was his base jumping with the wingsuits mm-hmm. the crazy wingsuits that right. that Which caught my attention you have to have attention.
1: total control over your yeah. body and know every wind yep. aspect I mean, it's not as simple. I feel like as no, people. No, I think you think have to know all
0: the wind coordinations mm-hmm.
1: right. and. And what if a storm rolls in yeah. or like tumbleweeds <laughs> yeah, happen that
0: day? I don't know. I just. And I wonder how long going 18 miles. I wonder how long that mm-hmm. took. Like yeah. how fast are you going? Did
1: he have a GoPro on?
0: Yeah, I, I'm sure he Maybe did. Not. Hopefully he did. Yeah. like <laughs> cool sights to see. Yeah, I would. For 18 miles. It would. And can you imagine hiking uh, and then all of a sudden seeing just this guy like. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a bird? <laughs> yeah. yeah, extra large bird today on our sightseeing tour. Um, so we're going to welcome him in. And thank you guys so much for listening to us um, on the Reborn podcast. And I'm really thankful and grateful to have Liz here with me today. And, yeah, I just want to welcome on Annie Stump. I'm really happy to have you on the podcast with me. Um We've been talking I,
2: about it for like two years.
0: I <laughs> know we have. Yeah. And how long ago was it that we met? Like two years ago?
2: Or um, no, like a year was, and a half ago? No, now. it was probably close to two years in San Diego. Yeah. But I think we first connected um, over social media maybe like a year before that. So yeah, yeah. And, interesting I, and long pathway to go from
0: I know. The, the world to real and world. And we've talked about like hunting together. We've talked about me coming up to Montana Yep. Um to be on your podcast, which is Cleared Hot. Um and you have one releasing what it's like every every I do Friday? Mondays and
2: Fridays. So Mondays I will sit down. I don't like to call them interviews. I'd say it's more of a conversation. And then Fridays I do mm-hmm. QA. And that wasn't the Friday one wasn't my choice. I kept getting just bombarded with people wanting me to answer questions and why people ask me questions or value mm-hmm. my opinion is slightly beyond me. But It was the only way that I could, like, try to stay on top of that because there was was just no way I could keep up with the volume. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What made you want to get into the podcast world? Did you feel like it was a place that you could have a voice? No,
2: it was random. Um, So it all started with Tate Fletcher, who was an MMA fighter. Uh, He's based out on the West Coast, and I was on a podcast with him. And he recommended, it was during the same time period that I was trying to raise money for the SEAL Foundation. So he recommended that I go and connect with his buddies, Brian Callen and Brendan Schaub, who I did. And then they recommended that I go and connect with Rogan, which I was very fortunate to be able to do. And then Rogan was the one who recommended that I start one. And given the fact that he seems to have a pretty good idea of what he's doing. Uh, I took him at his word and took his advice.
0: So, um, who's your podcast team? You have like you, it's just me, who edits it?
2: Uh, my editor, but he looks like me.
0: So it is, is it you?
2: Yeah. And then I do the t-shirts. <laughs> you do everything. Yeah, it's just me. You do the t-shirts
0: yeah. too. Uh, you know, I have a a screen printing company now.
2: I do know that, but there's also an awesome dude here locally, so I'm trying uh, to support the sense. local economy.
0: A local economy, yeah, out there in Montana. Yeah,
2: yep. I, yeah, He's I, an awesome guy.
0: Yeah, I thought that you meant that you were screen printing your own shirts.
2: Fuck no! You do you could. have any idea how bad that those would look? Oh my god, <laughs> it would look like fucking chicken scratch.
0: <laughs> well, just stick to what you're good at, which is uh, probably I guess I'm trying not. to figure
2: out what I'm good at. I'm trying oh. to figure it out still. So.
0: Like, today what I really want to talk about is, because you're an athlete.
2: Uh, let's use that term extremely loosely.
0: I think you're an athlete. You're definitely an athlete. Everything that you've done, but you have the mental mindset of an athlete for sure.
2: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've never, eh, I guess I've done athletic things my whole life, but I actually have never thought of myself as an athlete. Like, really? my athletic career, when I think yeah. of it in those terms, ended when I left high school. I mean, I played water polo and baseball at a mediocre level, Uh by the way. Um, did you go to college? I did not. Um, you joined the teams. I joined the teams. I actually enlisted in the Navy when I was a junior in high school. Wow. While my, while my friends were, you know, studying for SATs, applying to colleges, they were actually really stressed out. I was just kind of focusing on what I thought the physical demands were going to be for the SEAL pipeline. So, How how was that
0: going through the training then? If you don't consider yourself an athlete, I mean, do you think it was more mental or physical at that point?
2: That's a question I get often and people will say it's 80% mental, which is, yeah, I don't think so because there's a pretty big physical component as well. But what I will say is you don't have to be a stellar athlete. I would say from an athletic perspective, average is good enough to make it through the training pipeline, but average from a mental approach is not going to get you across the finish line.
0: Do you think that the training that you went through out in San Diego and um, passing, do you think that that, like, and then going into the teams and joining the teams, do you think that that really prepared you for what was to come with the teams?
2: Uh, from a mental perspective and from a a dealing with stress perspective, I think that it helped, but I've never done any running or jumping jacks or pull-ups or flutter kicks or rope <laughs> climbs or running around with a boat on my head overseas. So, yeah. I mean, it, the, the purpose of BUDS is, is a, it's a crucible, you know, right. it's a filtering process that's supposed to weed out the, the people that don't need to be there and the curriculum does its job and it largely sifts through everybody who shows up and it spits the right people into the teams, but the physical demand of the teams is far different than the physical demand Mm -hmm. of buds. And it should be because buds, you don't, you don't really learn anything in buds. Mm -hmm. You start learning things when you get into the community, then you're talking, you know, body weight, gun, water, all that stuff. And you you just don't run around in buds with, you know, anything other than really your body weight or a Mm -hmm. telephone pole. And you don't do that for that much either.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So question, if you were not a SEAL when you're retired, mm-hmm. what do you think you would have done with your career or your life?
2: That's a tough one because I didn't have a plan B, which I thought oh. at the time, but I was like, okay, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. And it was awesome because I never really had anything else to think about other than just trying to finish the day that I was involved in. But I didn't realize until I went back as an instructor, how many people accidentally get hurt. They'll fall off an obstacle and, break a leg or get shin splints I had no idea the number of people who are awesome but they just physically can't make it through so um I wouldn't recommend to people to not have a plan b mm-hmm. but what I would say is don't make plan b so enticing that perhaps it will uh, become
0: make it a, better, quiet, option.
2: Right? Yeah, a, it a gets, better option yeah a better option mentally when it gets tough yeah yeah
0: do you think that helped push you through because you didn't have a plan b because you were so sad on like this is what I'm gonna do
2: I think it helped, but then I also think I got very lucky. And I say that, again, based off my time there as an instructor and just seeing. I just didn't realize how many people get fucked up in training.
0: Uh, What year did you join the teams?
2: So I joined the Navy in August of 96. I started BUDS in January of 97, graduated in August of 97, and then Fort Benning after that to jump school. So I got to my first operational team late '97.
0: 97. And then how long were you in before you retired?
2: I did one month shy of 17 years. So wow. I just say 17 years because I figure the government can spot me a month. It's easier than <laughs> it is. Saying. I did 16 years, 11 months, <laughs> and two days. I'm just like, I did 17 years. I like, have problem with that. Yeah. I think that's fair. They can fair. spot me a bit.
0: And um, you got injured? Yes. And you medically retired?
2: I did medically retire. I was actually about five days from just separating from the military Mm -hmm. because I switched over from being an enlisted to an officer when I was a BUDS instructor. Yeah. And each, each one of those has a different pipeline. Like there's an enlisted career path and an officer career path, and there's mandatory jobs that you have to hold along the way if you want to continue to advance. And basically the officer detailer told me that the combat deployment I had done in 2010 essentially didn't count even though I was filling a billet that I would need later on down in my career she basically said well it doesn't actually count because on paper that's not what you were written in as Mm. so I asked her what I would need to do and she essentially said back to back to back deployments and already in my mind I was like that's not going to happen from a physiological perspective and I just didn't have the desire to do it so I was like okay cool I'm just going to hang the spurs up and get out and the doctor would not sign my discharge mm. physical, who I was mm. super pissed at at the time. But then a year later, they ended up medically retiring me. So I mm. preserved all my benefits. So in the end, wow. the guy did me a super solid. Right. And I'm very thankful for it.
0: Yeah. So whenever you, you had your injury, um, mm. and I know that you said that like you, weren't, you are not an athlete. Um, but the athleticism, because you injured your leg how did that happen? And, and what was your injury that you sustained?
2: So my leg is what gives me specifically my ankle has been like the bane of my existence since 2005. Um, uh, and there was no damage to the actual ankle itself. It was nerve damage. Uh, I got shot in the hip from about 15 feet away, wow. uh, in Iraq in between, uh, Baghdad and Fallujah, they kind of border each other and the round in some way interacted with my sciatic nerve. And for about a year, I actually had full hemiplegia, which is paralysis of one side of my leg. I had drop foot and it was super frustrating. And one of the most frustrating aspects is I would go see these doctors who had advanced degrees in medicine. I mean, fuck, decades of school. And I would ask them questions like, hey, is this going to get better? What's mm-hmm. a What's a reasonable timeline that I can look at for improvement? And they would just shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, I don't know. And I would get pissed because I didn't go to medical school or spend nearly that much time on education. And I could give them the same answer.
0: Hmm. So
2: it was really frustrating. Why was
0: that? Like, why do you think that they just, was it because they hadn't seen a case like yours or they didn't? I
2: think nerves, I mean, nerves from my understanding are so incredibly small, they will regrow. But it's at like a millimeter a day. But also sometimes they will stop regrowing. And I don't, Mm -hmm. it's like the brain. You know, there's more unknown about the human brain than there is known. And I bet that's probably true of the entire human body, but they just didn't they didn't they couldn't give me a definitive answer. So I think that they were hesitant to give me one at all. And they basically just said, time, it's gonna take time. And I, I can't even describe how frustrating it is to sit there and look at your foot and in your body you're trying to fire off all the mechanisms that wouldn't. make it work. Yeah, and you're I'm sitting there looking at my toes like move mm-hmm. and I'm like like starting to sweat because I'm trying so hard to move my toes. And, and they it just wasn't sit happening. there. It's, Wow. No, and it's How, an incredibly frustrating experience.
0: When was that? When did when did that happen? What year was this?
2: February fifth, two thousand five.
0: And then when did you? Because there was a time, you know, non-athletic Andy yep. decided to get into fitness, and you started doing and getting into CrossFit.
2: Well, let's clarify um, the difference between teaching people about CrossFit and participating in it in yourself. So. I've always worked out. I mean, that's, I Mm -hmm. mean, anybody who's been peripheral to the SEAL community, it's a very physical job. Most of the guys are pretty, just because of a requirement, physical conditioning is just a part of it. So it's not that I never worked out, but I used CrossFit to rehab from getting shot. And then I was fortunate enough to meet uh, a couple of people who were already working for the company early in 2006. And then I met the founder and it was at a time where they were experiencing very explosive growth. They needed people who could present. So I presented the curriculum in the, in the information, but I never was, you know, people confuse the CrossFit methodology with the CrossFit games. And they're two very, very, very different things. The people who do the CrossFit games, those are athletes for sure. And that was not me. (laughs) I was on the educational side of the house.
0: But I mean, but there had to have been some point where like you, you had the injury because to me, and now you do crazy. Do you still base jump? are you still doing base? I still have the, you did, I still have
2: the, I did for a long time and I still have the desire to do so. But one negative thing about moving to Montana is that there are less skydiving drop zones Uh, and skydiving is how you can help maintain your currency to go base jumping. And mm -hmm. absent my ability to maintain currency, I'm not going to even touch it. It's just far Mm -hmm. too dangerous. Mm
0: -hmm. Where, so when did you get into like the base jumping and
2: stuff though? Uh, post-military. So I got out in 2013 Um, and that's where I transitioned over to, I don't know, I guess it would be an endorsement world, but I started basically being a professional skydiver and there's a lot of different disciplines inside of skydiving. And there Mm -hmm. are a lot of skydivers who take an interest in base jumping. So it was more just being exposed to it through friends and then developing an interest in it. I mean, it's the parachutes are relatively the same. The equipment is relatively the same. It's more how you, you know, whether you're leaving an airplane in flight or a, Bridge, antenna, span, or earth, which is what Bay stands for.
0: So my uh, my mom was a professional skydiver. I don't know if I've told you that before. But she uh, was... You
2: left that out, for sure.
0: Yeah. So my mom <laughs> was, like, huge into the skydiving. And, and uh, I mean, that's, like, all she did. She did all the tricks and stuff in the air. And I've jumped tandem like so mm-hmm. many times i've even done like gainer's with people and you know even my mom was like yeah you should get your skydiving you know it's it's like a an a license is what is that yep. what it's called
2: that's the first one yeah
0: and i mean i i definitely i would love to do that because i i have that uh i don't know that thrill like it's it's almost like and i'm sure that you you know it's like the that you know you when you were in like this high, like the military and the teams, and then you probably got out and then you're like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to start jumping off of cliffs in a wingsuit.
2: Yeah. But but, eh, it may look on the outside, like it was haphazard, but I put a lot of thought into, I mean the whole, the SEAL community, what is not talked about often is how much time we spend assessing risk, you know, identifying, assessing, and then mitigating risk. And I take the same approach to activities outside of the military it took me, I mean, I didn't put a wingsuit on until I had 3,500 jumps. Um, I didn't base jump until I had been skydiving for how,
0: how was that How years. was that first jump off the cliff
2: with with your wingsuit? So the first, so let's see here. Uh, it was in Monte Brento, Italy. And you're, you know, you're, I was there with a guy who taught me how to base jump. And we kind of did a tour through Europe. We went to Italy and then the Lauterbrunnen Valley in Switzerland. And it was awesome because he, you know, there's, there's graduating levels of risk. There are places where you can go and base jump where you have a lot of time and you have a lot of ability to correct for a problem. And then there's places where you can go that are completely mandatory performance, meaning you nail everything or you're going to die. And Mm -hmm. I avoid those. I don't want, I'm not interested Mm -hmm. in that. So Mm -hmm. he took me to Monte Brento and I'm sitting there zipped up in my wingsuit, reconsidering my life choices (laughs) as one I think generally does in those moments. Yeah. But I was there with somebody that I trusted. Um, I had been doing it for a long time. I wasn't really, I definitely. I mean, there was definitely fear involved, yeah. but I see, I've seen people at the edges of cliffs who are profusely sweating, they're shaking, they can't yep. talk, they can't zip up their suit. And for those people, they need to walk away because they're, yeah. they're in a place where they're not in control and the situation is in control of them. But I mean, it was just awesome. I mean, the the thing with base jumping in at a place like that is about four seconds after you're off the cliff, it feels like you're skydiving. I mean, the suit mm. flies the same. Air mm-hmm. is air to the suit. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just how you get the suit flying.
0: Mm-hmm. That's wild. I don't, like, I, I could, like, jump out of an airplane all day long. I don't think I could ever. I don't even think I could bungee jump.
2: See, I don't. I don't want a bungee jump. I'm not a fan of static heights. Like if you get me around 60 to 80 feet, I'm not having a great time. You get me around four to 500 feet and I can put a parachute on my back. I'm doing better, but I don't like anything in between.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I just, I don't know. I don't, I really just don't think that I could. I, I think it's because I probably don't understand the wingsuit and a lot of it, like you said, a lot of it is just fear that you kind of, Put in your mind that can, can make you,
2: you know, a of experience that goes with it too. I mean, I didn't just put a wingsuit on right. one day and go base jumping. I learned how to skydive. I messed around with a bunch of discipline skydiving. I jumped a really small suit to start my wingsuit skydiving. And then I progressed mm-hmm. to bigger suits. And then I learned how to base jump with no wingsuit on. And I did that for oh. a while. Then I put a base, you know, then I put a wingsuit on and went to a place that was, I'm not going to I'm not going to call anything about base jumping safe, but it was as safe as we could com- mm-hmm. uh, possibly conduct the jump. And then, you know, incrementally went from there. So it's mm-hmm. not, it's not a light switch. You don't go mm-hmm. from not doing one one day to doing it the next. I mean, you mm-hmm. can, but that's how you end up, you know, on a fatality list.
0: Yeah. Do you think you're going to jump again?
2: Skydiving for sure. I mean, I, yeah. I literally could do that with my eyes closed. It's, I mean, it feels like you're on an air mattress base jumping. I don't know. I'm going to leave it open uh, to a possibility but it would have to be for the right reasons and in the right locations with the right people and absent Mm -hmm. all of those things. No. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Have you ever been with somebody or or saw somebody that you were close to lose their life to base jumping?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, one of my closest friends, a guy who I actually kind of shepherded into the sport and he used to wear my old wing suits, uh, when he was training and I would just, you know, he, we were exactly the same size or close enough that they fit really well. And I would send him his, uh, my old suits. And I had been to Europe with him three times. I had some of the most amazing, uh, experiences with the guy. And then he essentially killed himself by making a mistake in France, uh, not too long ago, a couple of years ago.
0: Wow. Yep. That's tough. What, what, if you don't mind, what was the mistake that he made or like, what happened? Do you think, cause you probably don't probably don't really know w- you can only
2: i wasn't there i talked yeah. to people who were there with him who jumped right. with him who watched it happen live and then one of the cameras did survive uh the impact um you see a lot of people who get very fixated and committed to doing one particular thing on a mm-hmm. jump and a lot of the times it'll be around trying to capture some kind of content with which oh. they then want to post yeah and he overcommitted. um you call them tree gates. You know, there was kind of a cliff that was jutting out with two trees, and you can fly in between the trees in your wingsuit if you have the altitude and speed to be able to do that. And he committed to doing that and just mm. wouldn't give it up, and it ended up taking his life.
0: Wow. That's tough. That'd yep. be hard to overcome, even as, a, like, a friend, just knowing somebody. But you hold the world record for the, for the wingsuit?
2: I used to. Uh, a guy named Kyle Lopries uh. a few years ago. Uh, was able to beat the record by, I think, about a half and a And what mile. was it? I did,
0: it like, was yeah, what, uh,
2: 18.25 miles traveled in a wingsuit. Dang. So it was the absolute – no, it was the – what was it? It was the, the distance traveled in free fall and then the absolute distance traveled. So adding the parachute travel That's was
0: That's crazy. Well. That's crazy. So you basically – will you just describe um, – I actually don't really know what goes into the jump. But – because you do end up pulling your chute.
2: Oh, for like sure. You don't well, just I mean, land. You can do it. Right. You can, you can land, but if you want to do it again, you need to deploy your parachute. So it, <laughs> it is possible to land a wingsuit without deploying your parachute. Uh, for that particular jump, because of the altitude, uh, I exited at 36,500 feet. Um, you have to have an oxygen tech. Mm. You are pre-breathing on the ground for an hour to purge yourself of uh, nitrogen and carbon dioxide. Um, you got to have a, an airplane that's capable of getting that high, a pilot that's qualified to fly that high. Permission from the FAA because you're actually at an altitude above where most airliners are flying, traveling back and forth, east to west. And, uh, I went out to a place in Northern California in Davis, California, where they have that system already in place and they have all those people. So I trained for a week and then I think it was on a Thursday or a Friday morning, went out there threw the oxygen mask on, got all ready to go, went up to altitude Mm -hmm. and jumped out of the plane and got a little wild for the initial exited the aircraft but got the suit flying correctly and then just pointed it towards the rising sun and tried to fly as far as I could.
0: Do you have a headpiece in or anything like listening? Are you like listening to somebody like a, a radio frequency nope. or music? Nope.
2: Anything? Uh, no, no, okay. just the, I don't know if I, you wouldn't be able to hear it that well. It's, it's yeah. like rolling down the window, driving 120 miles an hour. You're not going to hear the tunes too well. Yeah.
0: well. But what's going through your mind? Like you, you said it was 18 miles. 18.25, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that? Do you, like, remember, like, your? It was on like, the anniversary,
2: yeah, so it was on the anniversary, the fifth anniversary of my mother's death, mm. and I pretty much just had a conversation with her the whole time, just chatting back and forth. I mean, I was holding the conversation, with people, <laughs> she wasn't actually there with me, but uh, kind of just thinking about that. You know, yeah. I was trying to raise money for the SEAL Foundation, so I was thinking about just kind of in my head that, you know, the guys that yeah. I was trying to remember and why I was doing it, and it made it a lot right. easier, for sure. Yeah.
0: How long did that take?
2: Uh, I think I was flying for like 8 minutes and 10 seconds. Wow.
0: Was it yeah. long? Was it a long 8 minutes?
2: It was very cold. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and no pun intended, but my arms were tired. You know, you hear people, <laughs> I flew into town today. But you're holding, you know, I was holding the wings with my arms. I was, bet.
0: Yeah, I didn't even. Yeah. That, yeah, I'm sure, especially for 8 minutes. That's with the wind and the resistance. I mean, because you are yeah. the parachute.
2: Correct. Yeah, well, you're you're creating the framework of the wing. So, yeah. For people who want to try it, I would say get somewhere between a 5 to a 10-pound weight in each hand and just hold them out at a 45-degree angle for eight minutes and let me know how long that's fun for.
0: Yeah, yeah. I actually might try that today. I bet it. it's not going to be long. I don't know. I think the jumping is crazy. The fact that you – how many years did you do the do the jumping with the wingsuit?
2: Uh, I mean, I've been jumping since 99, so 20 years. Uh, Five years pretty consistently yeah. in the wingsuit.
0: Yeah, I think that's – originally how i'm trying to figure out like how i found you or like how we connected i don't really know exactly what it was like we kind of run in the same circles social kind of, media yeah, same people i don't remember either but
2: actually i couldn't put a finger on exactly when it was yeah
0: i don't know i in in your post and and today and i, I know this isn't gonna release on september 11th but Your writing, I think, is beautiful. The way that you articulate in words and the way that you're able to put into words, um, like your thoughts. And I think it's extremely powerful. And I believe it it must have been many years ago, um, at least two, if not more. But it it was one of your social media posts that just made me stop in my tracks and
2: I think he reposted something that I wrote and that's how we ended up connecting because I saw that you had reposted it and we did run in the same circles but I didn't realize how interconnected it was and I didn't know who you were at the time and I think yeah Yeah. I think that's how we originally connected
0: yeah yeah so well tell me like I want to talk a little bit about fitness though for you so after you got out of the teams did it I try? Did sucks. I try to? Did I try to get you to like run with me at one point, or yeah, there was something that I was like, "I'm anywhere. running like five miles a day," or I don't know, I don't know yeah. what it was. I was trying to remember before we got on this podcast together that I kept trying to bug you. There was an offer run.
2: somewhere of like, "Let's go run." I was like, "Are you out of your goddamn mind?"
0: <laughs> yeah, you're like, "I don't run. <laughs> I don't yeah, run for you know, fit, anything." Yeah,
2: fitness for me, you know, my old job is not easy on yeah. the body. You know, yeah. knees, shoulders, necks backs there it's just from a lot of weight and yeah. I can actually feel it when I stop working out and working mm-hmm. out for me comes in a variety of different ways um but when I don't physically train two things happen one my body feels like shit it starts yeah. aching and I can really feel I'm like wow I got I got some some old miles on the uh, mm-hmm. the body there mm-hmm. and when I work out I just feel it you know from a muscular perspective it supports my skeletal system so much better but if I the worst thing is though, is like my emotional state will crumble if I don't have a physical outlet. So about two years ago, I started doing jujitsu. And before that I was traditionally working out doing CrossFit methodology stuff, just in my garage. Mm -hmm. And then when I found jujitsu, um, that to me is pretty much how I've been working out for the last two years. Cause I'm Mm -hmm. trying to figure it out. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. trying to figure out the foundation and fundamentals of that. And I'll add strength training back in. I'm actually already at a point right now where I need to, because there are some asymmetries. If you do jujitsu, there's a lot of similarities, but it's a lot of pulling and less pushing and you can develop some issues in your body. Uh, And I say that because I feel it in myself. And in talking to people who have been practitioners for a long time. So I'll add some weights back in because I don't, I can't think of a single negative consequence to being strong as a human being, whether you're a man or a woman, but it's, so for me, it's, it's twofold. I have to do it for my body to feel normal and Mm -hmm. I have to do it for my brain to function. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Are you still rolling now through like COVID and stuff? Are you able to train?
2: Yes, I have been able to train. I usually will go in somewhere between five to six days per week, about two hours a day.
0: Dude, that's good. I've started rolling again. I was rolling all the time, like two years ago. I will fuck
2: you up. No, no way.
0: I'm like a monkey. I could totally, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that I could take you. But I haven't been. But for me, this is this is like one of the pitfalls of. I, I've tried to stop traveling as much as I was traveling, but I would be training and then I would have to leave, yep. or I would do some crazy like physical, you know,
2: inconsistency. Thing. Yeah, that, inconsistency, And that crushes jujitsu uh, progression. It
0: does. It does. And so. Even now, like I um, I was training really consistently and then I ended up getting another tattoo. And so I had to stop for like a week and a half or two weeks. And then, you know, now the kids are back in school and I'm homeschooling now. And so, um, yeah. but I love it. It's like the, the, the mental aspect of jujitsu because um, it's like it's this, crazy. It is crazy. And it's like this human, I like to say like a, a human game of chess of just,
2: yeah, I agree, and it's hard to describe to people unless they experience that. It's yeah. a very difficult physical sensation to right. describe, and if people who think it's they're like, "Oh, can you really get a good workout doing jujitsu?" No, I you am can. Wrecked at yeah. the end of it mentally,
0: mentally and physically though, because Correct. like you're just you're having to constantly think and prepare and. Um yeah, it, it's good and I, you know, I've been a huge advocate ever since I had like that crazy uh stalking experience where somebody flew here to Virginia to try to find me. I think Yeah, that's for, not for, awesome. No, it's not. It's not awesome. Um but even for females and during the time that I've been consistently training with jujitsu or I do Muay Thai as well sometimes mm-hmm. that I'm just I feel more um alert assertive like if if something were to happen i feel like i could better defend myself or just like the movement and like the i don't know the the way that your body moves in a defense for jujitsu like i just i think it's so important like it's not and i and i i can see too how especially females can be a little bit intimidated on you know getting on the mats um it's just so But important. they shouldn't be.
2: They shouldn't be. You know, no. I have a daughter who's 12, and the only thing I would ever want for her is the ability to be confident in any yeah. situation. Yep. And in speaking to the the mat culture where I train is awesome. It mm. is a total mixed bag of men and women. It's not just dudes in their 20s who are tatted out, smashing each other. There's right. people who come to class who are in their 60s. And I'll, yep. I mean, I'll roll with everybody. I can totally understand the hesitation for women to want to get into that environment, but you can you can navigate around that stuff. You can pick training partners, you can go to the right gym,
0: or take a but take I, a if it's a girl, take a girlfriend and have her be your training partner. But correct.
2: I do think it's important it, for
0: somebody to have some experience that you roll with as well.
2: Yeah, oh, I agree. But I, you know, I have conversations with women at the gym, and they'll talk about things that I have never once thought about in my life, and I didn't realize how much of a blind spot that was. You know, I've never worried about walking to my car at nighttime. Mm, It's never crossed my mind. I've never been like, oh, man, I hope that nobody, somebody, actually, if I'm being totally honest, in my head, most of the time, I'm like, God, it'd be awesome if somebody attacked me. (laughs) Right. But (laughs) I might be a little fucked up. But I didn't realize how much other additional thought process goes into place for women when it comes to uh, the area of being physically intimidated or physically assaulted. Total blind spot. And then you talk to them on the mat. Or in class, and the difference that it's made in their life, and the way that they they physically walk different because of the confidence. And I actually think most you know most predators are looking for the weakest victim, not 100%. the strongest. Yeah, they're going to deselect themselves from most victim situations just because of the knowledge that they have and the way that they express it through mm-hmm. their movement. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Th- this was probably like a year and a half ago. Um, it was this guy who just stalked me on social media. Flew into Virginia Beach on a one-way ticket with a burner phone, a pocket full of cash, and, yeah, came right in here into my restaurant. He had been here, like, three times that day prior looking for me. And I remember even, and in, in, in at that time, I was not doing any sort of self-defense. Um, I was very self-aware, though. I was, yeah. I was aware of my surroundings. I knew who, exactly who he was as soon as somebody told me his name, and um, I mean, after that, like, and, and you're right, but that night, for he got put in jail, and um, and then he got released on a bond, and and he was still in Virginia Beach, and I was sleeping literally with a gun right next to me and my kids in my bed.
2: What other option do you have? You know, right. if you don't have other tools, I mean, again, no. that's and that's the thing, and this is important too about jujitsu for men or for women. There are times when jiu jitsu is not going to be enough. I'm right. an advocate. The way I describe it to people is you need to be able to manage your ranges. Yep. Um, jiu jitsu is great for when somebody puts their hands on you, mm-hmm. but you are already doing something that I recommend to people as well, which would be Muay Thai or striking, because you don't have to let people touch you. But right. if you're only good at protecting yourself if they can grab a hold of you, mm-hmm. well, you know, maybe they're really good at grabbing a hold of people too. So you can keep them at a short range distance. And then there are other tools mm-hmm. available that can push your safe zone or your safe distance out. Guns, that, I mean, that's where they come into the conversation. For me, of course, with that is an increased level of responsibility, training, yeah. competency, currency, all of that stuff. But if you don't have any of those other skills, what other choice did you have at your house? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a reasonable thing to do yeah. to protect yourself and the people that you love.
0: Yeah, I I, uh, I was definitely, even being, like, at the level of fitness and just, like, I was still incredibly intimidated by just the possibilities, you know, yeah. and of course like in my mind I thought that he was going to be mad that, you know, he got put in jail and that he would try to come after me and make plus the having, situation like,
2: worse. Yeah,
0: make the situation worse and like, you know, I you know, just m- my house is on social media. I'm sure like if they if somebody really wanted to, they could probably find me and you know, and then putting my boys' lives at, at risk and a danger. And you know, shortly yep. after that I started training in just self defense. And um and, and and I like to tell it doesn't matter man, woman, you have to be aware of your surroundings. I mean we're constantly yep. just on our phones. We're not paying attention of the vehicles who are behind us. Um, we just, we're just so like,
2: that's where the managing the ranges comes into just don't get ambushed. I mean, and it's actually not that hard to not get ambushed. Just keep your head up and out a little bit and then go back to whatever bullshit you're doing on your phone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The confidence thing though, with the, with the rolling, I really, I've really wanted to compete for the longest time. I would have
2: actually liked to compete too. And of course, 2020, the Chinese year of the dumpster fire, just wipe that slate (laughs) clean. So I guess it's going to be 2021.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that you're going to compete like in like next year?
2: I will if the opportunity presents itself. Yeah. And I'm you know, I'm not going to I guess they're they're trying to put together like these tournaments at the end of the year and it's like, you know what, how about we just wait until shit's right. at least just semi-normal. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to but I will bec- and I will because I think that the competition is a better metric of probably where you are and the growth mm-hmm. that you have versus mm-hmm. just open mat. Mm-hmm. At the local gym, because I know everybody's game. Well, I don't. I can't say that. I don't know everybody's game at the gym, but it's familiar when I roll with them. Right. And I think you know, slapping hands with somebody you've never met before, who is your age, your weight, and your belt, like it's a good measuring stick.
0: Yeah. Do you think that your uh, mindset with training will change, knowing that you'd be preparing for a competition?
2: No, no. And I say that because talking with the 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 highest level practitioners that I know, their recommendation is always to make your competition game. Or your training game, a your normal. competition game. Yeah. Normal,
0: yeah. Yep.
2: yeah. And roll in a competition like you would roll normally. You don't have to get stressed out or go crazy or any of that stuff. The more yeah. comfortable you are, the better off you'll be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they have some competitions up in D.C. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Well, that. in a normal year, they're all over the place. I guarantee you Virginia yeah. Beach has some as well.
0: Yeah, they do. They do. But I just have I have to get my, my rolling consistent. I feel like yep. I'm still trying to figure it out since I've decided to homeschool my kids and – um, I would just you know. beat the
2: shit out of them. I would force them to do jujitsu for <laughs> two do, hours They do
0: actually. They do. Even my littlest, who is five, uh, he goes to jujitsu. Uh, That's awesome. It's like super cute. Yeah, he's still like left, right, like trying to figure that Hell out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's good, and, it, and you know, it's it's a good discipline for kids as well.
2: So I agree. So I what totally else agree. do you
0: have going on?
2: Um. You know, I'm sure everybody in the, in the world could pretty much repeat the following, and that is this year has been an interesting one for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, it, you know, I used to travel a bunch too, and I actually really am enjoying that. I didn't I realize how much I was yeah. on the road, and I didn't realize the drain of being on the road, of yep. having four to six things to do or places to be every year. So I'm just trying to focus on doing more locally. The mm-hmm. first thing that I did when I realized that travel was going to – diminish is I put time and effort into the studio. So found a place in town. I was like, you know, and talking to people who I know are successful podcasters, they always tell me the same thing, you know, consistency, whether that's in the audio quality or the video quality, or even more so the release dates be consistent when you release uh, material. So Found a place in town. Try to professionalize the podcast. Continue to grow that. It's probably the most enjoyable thing that I do because I get Mm -hmm. to sit down with cool people and talk Mm -hmm. about what is fascinating to them. Um, It gave me more time to dive into jujitsu. Like I'm able to go multiple days per week. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not really doing anything else. Uh, Hunting season is coming up, so I mean, that Mm -hmm. one's always a. a I'm pretty pretty sure
0: I've I've asked you every year to take me with you.
2: Well, and I would I have no problem doing that, but like here in Montana, that you have to put in for tags, I think in March and the hunting season is either September through October or October through November. So there's, it's not just like, Hey, Ashley, come on out. We'll go hunting. There's some other stuff that you got to do hunting season. Uh, and who knows? I mean, if the public speaking stuff comes back, it comes back and if it doesn't, I actually don't care anymore. We
0: were actually, um,
2: we spoke Where? in the same place in San Diego, but you didn't but want to hear met- what I had to say. No, so I had early. to
0: leave. <laughs> That's <was> not <laughs> the case. No, you were late. We actually had to. I was res- late. I was on yeah. time. No, we had to. You were supposed to speak that night. And I think that we like flopped you to the other night and then I had to leave because of my flight. You were literally the only part. You, you were the only reason why like I agreed.
2: <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like your it's Definitely
0: fault. your fault. You were like the only reason why I even agreed. It was a summit. We were speaking at a summit. Yeah, it was um, at Mark
2: Divine's uh, Seal Fest. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. How long have you been a speaker? Mm, yeah. Seven, eight years. Were you always good at speaking, or?
2: No, I. You know. Here's another thing. People, if you speak enough, and I'm yeah. sure you've experienced this, you re, you get to a point where you develop some level of comfort. You're like, oh, okay, I'm going to fumble on a few words, but I've delivered this message before. I'm not necessarily positive on how I'm going to get from A to B, but I know I'll get from A to B. So let's just go up there and do this. But I certainly wasn't comfortable when I started, but I was forced to speak in front of large groups in the military all the time. Yeah. And then when I was working for CrossFit, I was doing the conceptual mm-hmm. lectures every weekend for months and then years. And at some point you just cross that threshold and it's like, okay, so it's a mm-hmm. learned skill. Everything that I, that I've done in my life, they're all learned skills. Like I didn't mm-hmm. come out of the box with some unique ability. I just, if I had well, oh, it's not even a unique skill, but if I have one thing that's helped me be successful, it's, I know how to work hard and I'll just yeah. put my nose to the grindstone and keep going. I mean, that's really it's the work ethic. no secret to my success, but that's, I mean, that's what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, my my first speaking experience, I remember, like, I, I got done with it. And, of course, you're, like, you're super nervous, you know. And, and I, I finished my speech, and I remember listening to it, and I hate, I don't know if you're the, I hate listening to myself speak.
2: Like, I can't stand listening I to my voice. I cannot
0: either. But I listened to it because I was like, oh, I, like, I tried really hard because I was really bad about saying, like, like, like,
2: and like, yeah, comfort words.
0: Yeah. Like where you should just pause. And yep. I finished the speech and I was like, Oh, I did so good. I was like, I didn't say like at all. And I replaced the likes with, and, uh, and, uh, um, Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> I catch myself, yeah. uh, often. And sometimes I'll do it on the podcast too. Like I apparently, I don't realize I'm doing it when I'm talking, but I'll have some consistent things that I say. And people will email and be like, you know, you said that like 14 times. And I will literally write it down, like stop saying oh, so-and-so. But then I end up fucking replacing it with some other stupid I word. I
0: know, I know. It is, <laughs> it is a learning curve. Like you said, like you yeah. can't just come out um, being good at anything. You weren't just no. a naturally yeah. born good skydiver um, nope. or a speaker and, or an athlete, which I do view. I Just for the record, I, Ashley Horner, do view you. Andy Stumpf as an athlete.
2: Well, you are incorrect, but I mean, you live the life how you want to, <laughs> Ashley.
0: What's uh what's coming up in your future? You know, what where can people find you at? Follow you? What's going on with you? Uh coming up People
2: follow me, they're going to be super bored because there's not a lot no, of shit No, that's going
0: not on. true. No, everybody needs uh, to follow you on at least your Instagram, right? It's like that's your big is that your big it's the one I use the, the most, most
2: because it's the simplest. It's like pictures. I'm like, oh, I can do this.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but it, everything is a version of my name. I think my, my Instagram is just Andy Stump 212. Mm-hmm. And I um, I mean, that's basically where I do most of my stuff.
0: What is the number 212 stand for?
2: That was my buds class ah. because some asshole had Andy Stump and I'm going to track him down one day.
0: Wow. Is there really back. another Andy Stump?
2: There's plenty of Andy Stumps. I just don't really? know who the hell they are. But they huh. were on Instagram before me so good job for them <laughs> so you had to come up with a number two one two which was your buds yeah. class yeah it, most of the time when you see team guys if they have a number associated to the name it's either going to be like five five six fifty three twenty six seven six two or their buds class
0: ah gotcha I we're not that. that unique we're not <laughs> that unique
2: we're creative <laughs>
0: Man that Wow was, <clears throat> that was really good. What did you think about? What did you think about that? very unique, yeah um, impressive
1: unreal i can 't even fathom that lifestyle, and now he gets to enjoy
0: all of his hard work over the years. Yeah. And, has crazy stories to tell. Right. It sounds like he just never quits. Mm-hmm. Like he's always searching for the next thing that's like the thrill, as right. if, you know, being in the teams and all the combat stuff mm-hmm. that he did and then everything else that he's achieved. Um, he just, I don't know. I don't and that's th- his I don't. I don't th- right. That's his normal. It makes me feel like that I need to do more. Yes. I don't think I'm going to try base jumping. Step it up. <laughs> I don't think so. I really, I mean, thankfully, maybe I would, but there's really not a place in virginia beach to uh put on my wingsuit and, and to jump
1: got of start somewhere
0: <laughs> short distances anyways thank you guys uh for tuning in today thank you for listening to us at the rainbow podcast and it is also a tradition that we do a homework segment and today i hope that you feel really inspired by andy's story i hope At the very least, it causes you to just go out and search for more, to go beyond and to push the boundaries and the limitations that you have for yourself. And this week, I want your homework to be to go for a new PR. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't even have to do with weights. You can go out and hit your new PR for running your your fastest half mile. It could be a new PR for maybe it's a full mile, um, race. Maybe it's a five miles, whatever it is, go out, hit a PR. Um, and it is going to be difficult. I think once you, once you set and set yourself into that realm of pushing yourself hard and beyond further than you've ever pushed yourself before, it is going to be hard and you're going to want to quit, but it comes back to the mental fortitude of wanting to press onward and to never giving up. So thank you. Thank you, Liz. Any closing things that you would like to say? Stop on by yes. American Brew. Stop by American Brew. Mm-hmm. We'll make you a delicious... Uh, what, what, what is your... So Liz is the best barista that we have. And she <laughs> bakes every... If you come into American Brew and you've tried any of our pastries, um, she is our fabulous baker. But what do you think is our best coffee that we have? Our most I popular. I am
1: a strict black coffee drinker, so I always enjoy our Americanos, but honey cinnamon...
0: It's very
1: popular. It is. And
0: we use real honey. Yes, we do. Real honey, real cinnamon. Mm -hmm. And then we have like five different milk choices. Tons of milk choices. (laughs) Yeah. So whatever you desire, uh, whatever your nutritional makeup looks like right now, we've got you covered on on the milk. So my name is Ashley Horner. This is Liz. And thank you so much for joining us today at the Reborn Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family, and we will catch you on the next Reborn Podcast. Later.